Well, we once again continue our Mark's Gospel series, so do have your Bibles open in front of you, uh, turning to Mark chapter 10. Really helpful to have God's Word in front of you so you can follow along with us today. As we look at our passage, we're going to consider what it means to be a true disciple in Jesus. A few weeks ago, we considered what it would look like in terms of the cost of discipleship, the cost of giving up our lives for Jesus. At that point, we reckoned it worth it because of the cost of the Messiahship, because Jesus gave his life for us. Ergo, we will give our life to Jesus. What we're going to be looking at today is the specifics and the practicalities of what that actually looks like. And we're going to do that by looking at two instances. We're going to look at the reluctance of a man to be wholeheartedly for Jesus. And then we're going to look at the grace of God to bless those who truly give up all things for him. And my prayer would be that through this passage, we'll be encouraged to be a complete surrender to King Jesus, that we would throw ourselves upon his mercy, upon his grace and upon his love, and that we will fully realise the gift of eternal life in Jesus. My prayer would be that we would be whole life surrendered to King Jesus because he has given us whole life for eternity. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10 and from verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was moving to the next area and likely the next part of his ministry, when out of nowhere a man runs up to him. Now clearly this moment was significant because each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, record this interaction. In Matthew 19.20, we're told that this was a young man. In Luke 18.18, we're told that this man was a ruler. And so putting these passages together across the Synoptic Gospels, we can come to the conclusion that this was a young ruler who was running toward Jesus. And notice that he comes running towards him. He clearly has a spiritual eagerness. He's come to see Jesus and he has to come right now. William Barclay would record that it was clear that this young ruler was caught up in an emotional response to meeting Jesus. And as we'll soon see, Jesus wasn't really interested in the emotional response, but rather the the true response of his heart. This young ruler goes to Jesus, runs to him, kneels before him and says, good teacher, and he wants to learn about eternal life. Now, to many, Jesus was a prophet and a teacher. He was one that had wisdom and knowledge, and somehow he knew the answers to life's questions. Now, before we go any further, we must recognise that all of these elements are true. Of course, as we will see, Jesus is much more, but we should never negate the fact that Jesus is a good teacher. He does have all wisdom and understanding, and he is exactly the right person that we are to go to when asking questions about eternal life. So this young man, this young ruler was doing the right thing. Even if it wasn't an emotional response, he was doing the right thing in going to Jesus. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Seems like quite an odd response, doesn't it? But in these few words, we see two significant aspects of the ministry of Jesus here. 
Firstly, let's, let's give William Barclay's viewpoint a bit of traction here as to the re emotional response that this young ruler was giving. He was caught up in the moment. He had to see Jesus and he had to see him then and there. He had to know about eternal life. He couldn't leave it another moment and so he runs to Jesus. And he, he is seemingly devoted to the answer before Jesus because he kneels. He kneels in the dust of the ground. This is a, a humbled response. This is an emotional response. He has to hear about eternal life. Now, did Jesus pay any attention to these actions? Did he pay attention to the running young ruler? Does he pay attention to the kneeling? Absolutely not. Instead, Jesus goes straight to theology. Now, theology is simply the study of the nature of God. And he asks this young man, why do you call me good? For there is only one that is truly God, good and that is God himself. Now that is, is kind of coming up uh, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through God's word, that the only one that is truly good is God himself. Psalm 25 verse eight, good and upright is the Lord. Now Jesus was testing this young ruler to see if he knew what he was actually saying. Was he declaring that Jesus was the Messiah just as Peter had done towards the latter verses of chapter 8 in Mark's Gospel? Or was he simply seeing Jesus as somebody that might have the right answer and he was desperate for it? It is in this test that we learn an important aspect in God. He is completely good. There is no bad, no sin, no wrong in God. We also learn that we are not good. In other words, we inherently are bad. We sin against God. We no longer look good, behave good, think good, act good, because it is declared that only God is good. And since the Garden of Eden, we have consistently been bad. So in just this simple response, there's two very simple outcomes. God is good and we are not. And this is something that this young ruler needs to understand. Jesus continues this theological response in verse 19. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now Jesus sums up the entire law by listing the commandments that relate directly to the duty of man toward his neighbour whether that be within this household, father, mother and husband, wife, or external to the household, to your neighbour. Uh, Jesus lifts straight out of Exodus chapter 20. Do not murder. There's a sanctity of life given by God that man does not have the right to take away from somebody. Do not commit adultery. There's a sanctity of marriage, one that is to be kept holy and pure. Do not steal. You're not to uh, take what the Lord has provided others and take it as your own. You're to trust the Lord for all that you need in this life. Do not bear false witness. Essentially tell the truth about your life and the life of others. Do not defraud. Do not cheat your way to success. And then finally, honour your father and mother. Honour meaning more than obedience. Rather, we are to respect our parents, we are to obey our parents, we are to live according to the gospel that our parents have raised us in and taught us in. Now, Jesus takes him to a theological response, a theological answer. You've got an emotional response, running and kneeling before Jesus. You have a theological answer, which is going back to the law and an explanation of the law. Now, look at how this young ruler responds. I have kept all of these since my youth, since I was old enough to understand them. 
what passion this man was showing before Jesus. However, clearly there are issues with this statement, isn't there? He was declaring an outward obedience. He wasn't boasting. He did indeed keep the laws, but only in terms of an outward obedience. What about his heart? And we can ask this question, for clearly outward obedience wasn't enough. For he was coming to Jesus with the question, how do one, one of us attain eternal life? I'm keeping the law, but that doesn't seem like enough. I'm obeying an outward appearance, but that doesn't seem enough. I need the answer. And he asked Jesus how we inherit life, how we inherit eternal life. For in his heart, he knew deep down that outward obedience was simply not good enough. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Our Lord Jesus showed compassion for something in this young man's response was to be admired. He came to the right place. He came with the right attitude of seeking answers from Jesus. And there was something more than obedience that was needed. And, and he could tell that. And that is why he was coming to Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear. There is one thing that this man lacks. He lacks complete surrender of this world's wealth, status and possessions. Only after giving all of it up will he truly be able to know the treasure that is Christ and the treasure that has been built up in heaven for him. It is at this point that one can then be truly a disciple of Jesus and therefore inherit eternal life. The great unseen need of this young man, the, the great unseen thing that he was searching for was within reach. He must physically give up his riches for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's kingdom. For riches were not his to keep and to rule over. They belonged to the Lord and the Lord determined how they should be used. And his determination was clear. Give it to the poor and to those in need. Give it all away and then truly run after Jesus. He will care for all your needs and he will keep you in this time. How does this young ruler respond? Well, look at verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Many come to Jesus discouraged, many come sad and disheartened. The New Testament is full of stories of those coming to Jesus who are broken and seeking answers. Yet there is only one instance in the New Testament that is recorded that someone left Jesus discouraged, disheartened and sad. And that occurrence is this young rich ruler. Jesus had called him out on the very thing that was holding him back from the kingdom of God. For this young ruler had many possessions. He was rich and sadly he was unwilling to part with his riches and to part with his possessions to follow King Jesus. He simply didn't want Jesus and eternal life enough. He wanted earthly wealth, earthly riches and earthly possessions. He wanted earthly stuff rather than eternal life. And so he left Jesus sad, for he could not have both. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and run after earthly things. You can only be a disciple of Jesus if you completely surrender to him, completely fall upon his mercy, grace and love and leave this world behind. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how difficult it will be for those who have a wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus confirms the difficulty that this ruler faced. When you have much to give up, it is hard then to find satisfaction in something that ultimately has no earthly gain or significance. I remember a study that was done several years ago. Children were given an option to eat one Haribo sweet or wait two hours and get two sweets. Every single child in the study took the one Haribo sweet. And the reason they gave was twofold. Firstly, a lack of patience. They wanted immediate joy and satisfaction and so they took the one Haribo sweet. The second was doubt over whether they would actually ever get two sweets later. Because they couldn't see it, they didn't believe it and so they took the option that was in front of them. This is the case of those who seek earthly wealth. If they give up now, if they no longer chase after it, they can have the option of eternal reward, eternal significance, eternal wealth and eternal life given by Jesus. Yet for many, the pool of earthly security, earthly possessions, earthly kingdoms is just too great. They want satisfaction now. And while eternity seems a long way away and it seems unseen, so I'll just choose what is in front of me now because that seems right. Now, I want you to see in this passage that it tells us that the man had many possessions. He had lots of things. We're not necessarily talking about money, that is one thing, but he had lots of possessions, he had lots of things. Now, for a moment, what I want you to do is look around your room and tell me what you see. When I look around my room here, I, I see an armchair in this corner, I see a chair here, I see furniture over here, I see a picture on the wall. I have stuff around me, what do you have? I could probably guess what you're gonna see in the room that you're in. A sofa, pictures on the wall, a TV, a nice room with a carpet, or nice flooring, books, ornaments, uh, you know, a handheld device in terms of a phone or an iPad, a laptop, clothes that you're wearing, you all have stuff. Each and every one of us has things. Now Jesus is not promoting a poverty gospel. There is no such thing as a poverty gospel in terms of what is true. Yes, people might try and say that there is, but the gospel is the gospel. You don't need to put words before it. But a poverty gospel would suggest that you have to give everything up, put sackcloth on and live your life entirely poor. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is promoting a whole life commitment to him, to place Jesus above everything that you have and to be willing to give it all up for the sake of gospel ministry, to give everything that you currently see in your room right now, to be willing to give it up for the sake of the gospel. That is what Jesus is saying here, whole life commitment. He's not talking about a poverty gospel, he is talking about a life of discipleship. Verse 24. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are in shock. The rich have always had it easier, haven't they? They can just take their privileged situation, their privileged position, and just buy their way into eternal life. Yet Jesus says that this is not so. Nobody is favoured when it comes to the journey of going to Jesus and salvation in his name. Being a man, a woman, a child, an adult, old, young, rich or poor doesn't give you any form of advantage in obtaining eternal life. 
for salvation in Jesus is the great equalizer. For we are all sinners, we all desperately need a solution, and Jesus is that salvation plan of God. Through faith in Jesus and by the grace of God, we can all attain salvation from sins and eternal life as a reward given to us through Jesus. It is the great equalizer. The rich don't get an advantage here. And so the disciples are shocked. And to explain this, Jesus paints a picture. A camel, known to be the largest animal in the time of Jesus, could not fit through the eye of a needle. It is physically impossible for the camel to do so. More than that, it's blatantly obvious that it's impossible. You wouldn't even attempt to try it. It would be laughed and mocked at if you tried to try it. It's blatantly obvious that it's impossible for a camel to enter the kingdom of God, uh, enter through uh, the eye of a needle. And therefore we can apply that to what Jesus is saying at this time. It is obvious and it is impossible for one who runs after wealth and things to be able to enter the kingdom of God. And let's just take this notion a little bit further. The reason it is impossible is that the desire and the trust is placed upon the things rather than Jesus himself. And note, this is whether you have the things or whether you don't have them and want them. You're either protecting things rather than seeking Jesus, or you are searching for things and the security that things bring rather than the ministry of Jesus. You know, often we can sit back from this passage and say, ah, I'm, not, I'm not very rich, I'm not very wealthy, I don't have many things, everything in my house is second hand. Uh, but the reality is all of us at some point chase after things, a better house, a bigger savings account, a better car, a, a present, a better situation, a new phone, a new TV. There's always something that we are searching for because we want instant satisfaction, instant pleasure, And that is what Jesus is talking about here, searching after earthly things rather than Jesus. Consider the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See what is happening here. The kingdom of God is sought. The kingdom of God is sought wholeheartedly that it would succeed, that it would increase, that it would grow. And we seek God to cover our needs. We seek him to cover our daily bread, to to give us what we need to live another day. It is not about seeking earthly security or an earthly paycheck or earthly savings accounts or earthly investments or earthly things. It is about seeking the kingdom of God and God's help to keep going through each day. Let's continue in verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. The disciples are once again shocked, for all of us have things, don't we? All of us chase after, at some point in our lives, something new, some form of security, some form of thing in this life. We all have possessions, we all have belongings. So if we all have possessions and we all seek after things, then who on earth can be saved? Because surely we're all in that position. And I think that's not an entirely unreasonable question from the disciples. Finally, in this journey we've been going through with the disciples, they seem to ask the right question. And Jesus responds with this mind-blowing answer. For man, getting into the kingdom of God is impossible. 
Do you recognize that? That for you to try and attempt to get into the kingdom of God, to get eternal life, to get eternal security, it is impossible, blatantly so. It is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. You cannot do it. No option whatsoever. But for God, all things are possible. It is only the creator God that can give us access to that eternal life. It is only through Jesus and faith in Jesus that we can be saved. There is no wealth that will get us there, no status that will get us there. There's no earthly thing that can get us there. It is only through Jesus that we can attain eternal life and it's only through Jesus that we might be saved. Any other option is impossible. And that is something we must grasp onto here that Jesus is indeed the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. I do wonder, is Peter jealous here? A lot of attention has been given to this rich young ruler and, and what he needs to do to gain eternal life. And, and really, Peter wants the attention back on him. Or, or is Peter being arrogant here, thinking that he's done exactly what the Lord has said and, and so he should get a clap on the back? And certainly what we can say here is those that give away the least are often at pains to tell you. Those that give away the least are often at pains to tell you. It is often those who give out of guilt or give out of duty or even out of pride that feel the need to boast about it, whether that be uh, to King Jesus himself, whether that to be in a church setting, whether that to be online. It is often those who give the least that want to boast about it. The reality is, though, that the standard of God in giving, in terms of giving, is give everything up for the sake of Jesus and his ministry. There's nothing to boast about for everything belongs to Jesus. We give everything to him and what is ours now on this earth ultimately belongs to him. So giving it up for Jesus isn't something we boast about. It's just the reality of what life is like as a disciple in Christ. And so for those who give the least up, they are often the ones that boast. And notice what Jesus says here is the motive behind giving up earthly things. Uh, here's Peter boasting about what he's done. And, and Jesus goes right to the motive of, well, let's find out why you've given it up. Because for Jesus, it is about giving it up for Jesus and for the gospel, for my name's sake and for the gospel. We don't give up our stuff, our things to look good. We don't give it up and give it out for guilt reasons. We don't give because it's right to give, as in that's the moral thing to do. We give because everything belongs to Jesus and it's for Jesus that we are giving it to and for the sake of his gospel ministry. And once again, look at what we're talking about here. Giving up our, this is what Jesus lists, house, family, land and jobs. And again, not in a poverty gospel sense, not in the sense of kind of beating ourselves up because we have possessions, but ready to do what the Lord requires in his timing. I heard recently of an older couple who sold their family house and bought a smaller retirement house and then used the leftover money to support a church plant for the sake of the gospel. I know a missionary family who have given up comfort and closeness to grandparents 
taking their children to Papua New Guinea to take the gospel to those who have never even heard that Jesus existed. Or the individual who has gone from a five-day week at work to a four-day week at work so that the Lord can use them in a new ministry. Yes, in each and every one of these cases, and I'm sure you can have countless cases that we could present, every single one of them came at great sacrifice. But that is what Jesus and the gospel calls for. The sacrifice of earthly gain, earthly satisfaction, earthly comfort for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of growing his children, for the sake of Jesus' name. And when the Lord looks upon the willingness to do this, to be in total surrender to his plan, notice what he promises. He promises three distinct things. First, he promises a hundredfold blessing in this life, on this earth. Now, not necessarily wealth, but within the family home, within the work setting, within ministry, you will be blessed. For you no longer seek after earthly gain, you seek after Jesus. I often say this, I had a good job before going into ministry. I worked in London, I worked in Edinburgh, I worked in the financial district, but I had no satisfaction. My heart longed to do something with greater meaning. And so the sacrifice of giving up what is earthly, that kind of secure income, that secure uh, career, when I gave that up, it felt like sacrifice. But then the Lord blessed and said, but here you go, here is the eternal satisfaction you will be giving, knowing that your role now plays a part in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of this earth. The second thing that Jesus promises here is persecutions. Notice that he just kind of slips it in there. A hundredfold blessing. Oh, and then there's that one word, persecutions. Satan hates people who are loyal to Jesus. So he is going to try everything to knock you off course. He is going to try poverty. He is going to try bills. He's going to try uh, people name calling you. He is going to try people beating you up. He is going to try everything to get you to go away from Jesus, sad, disheartened, discouraged like this rich young ruler, so that he will try and get success in this world. Know that persecutions come when you are loyal to Jesus. But third and finally, and I think most importantly, Jesus promises the whole life commitment of a Christian, when they give that to Jesus, he promises eternal life. Do you get that today? Giving up earthly security, earthly things and earthly wealth and seeking after Jesus brings everlasting life. Everlasting life. Do you, do you recognise that? So many of us, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do this, but so many of us are so focused on a great retirement, saving up for it, making sure that we enjoy those final years of our life, making sure we enjoy it in comfort, that we have forgotten that it's only going to be a short while. Let's say you retire at 60. Let's see if you even do well and get all the way to 100 years old and you've got 40 years on this earth. Does that compare to eternal life? Would you be willing to uh, sacrifice eternal life for earthly security for what, 40 years? Eternal life is eternal. It doesn't end. And so Jesus says here, for those that give up earthly things, for those who sacrifice now, I will promise the security of eternal life. What a wonderful blessing that is. And I labour it for the reason that it is that blessing. It's our focus, it's our hope, it's our desire as disciples of Jesus. Now, before I get on to a bit of a side notion here, let's wrap up our passage with one final verse. Verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The Lord looks at things differently. 
If you want to be first in this world, you're going to be last with Jesus. And if you want to be first with Jesus, you're likely going to be last in the eyes of this world. This is why the command to the rich young ruler made him so sad, for he had to give up this world for the sake of Jesus. But it's also why we should rejoice, for when we do give up this world for Jesus, he'll take us from last to first. He'll make us co-heirs to the throne of Christ in the eternal heavenly realm. And that is a wonderful blessing. And so with that in mind, let me say this in way of application. It is time that we don't just believe this. It is time that we actually live it. Too many of us are protecting our earthly life. Too many of us are seeking a comfortable life. Too many of us are wanting security from our jobs, from our investment, from our stuff. Too many of us, if I can be so blunt, are poor ambassadors for the gospel. For to trust in Jesus, to truly loosen the grip of earthly things means to not just believe it, but to do it. You can say that you trust in Jesus and then build an earthly kingdom, spending your time protecting it and nurturing it. But I'll tell you one thing, that shows that your heart is not one of a faithful believer. So let's get real practical this morning. Again, we've been going through this Mark series several weeks now. We already know the cost of discipleship. We already know the cost of the Messiahship. We already know what it means to give up our lives for Jesus. But what does that actually mean this week? Well, what, here's my question. What are you keeping from the Lord? What is he not allowed to touch? And the easiest way to answer this is what are you unwilling to part with? Is it your savings account? I can tell you right now there are countless missionaries in desperate need of funds to serve the gospel. Is it your car? I know of a pastor right now that needs a car and desperately needs one for his family. Is it your house? I know countless of church plants that could really do with an injection of funds. Is it your business? Is it your family? Is it your holidays? What are you keeping from the Lord and what do you say? You can't have this. I want you to join me this week in not just believing the word of God, but doing the word of God. This week, come before God and give him everything you have. I mean, if you have to, write it down on a list. Write everything you have, your house, your possessions, your wealth, write it down and then say, Lord, use it for your kingdom. Use it for the what you want to happen in this world. Your only other option is to go away sad, for you love this world more than you love Jesus. So that's the question. What do you value more, your stuff or the kingdom of God? I think that's a decision you need to make this week, not just in belief, but in action. And so I challenge you this week, whether you're on your own, whether you are a couple, whether you're a family, sit down and write everything that you have down on a piece of paper. Thank God for blessing you and then give it all up for Jesus. Say, God, use this for your kingdom. He might say, I don't need you to give up your house, but I'm gonna use your house for my ministry's sake. He might say, I don't need you to give up your car, but I'm gonna use it for ministry's sake. But he might say, that savings account that you have, I need those funds and I need it for gospel ministry in this world. And so friends, I encourage you, you have an option here. Walk away from Jesus sad, disheartened, discouraged like the rich young ruler, or give up your whole life and attain the wonderful blessing that is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's your decision to make and I pray that you would make the right one. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the blessing that is the promise of eternal life, the security that it belongs to those who are faithful in Jesus. Father, help us not just believe it, help us really live that out. Help us live out that our only hope is eternal life. Help us hold on to things in this world with a loose grip. Help us give them up and give them to your ministry for your name's sake. Father, let us be ready to serve the poor. Let us be ready to give up our possessions for the sake of others. Let us be ready to cover the needs of others. Let us be ready to think outside the box, even like this older couple who have sold their house to give funds to a church plant. Father, let us be that way. Let us be so sold out for Jesus. Let us be so all for Jesus that we would be willing to take the sacrifice, take the persecutions, because we know that the kingdom of God will grow and we will see the blessing of many souls saved in the name of Jesus. And Father, we can't wait for that day where we will be able to fully realise the eternal reward, where we will give up the sacrifices and the persecutions and the pain and the disease and the death, and we will gain eternal life. And so, Father, we run our race. We're running and straining towards you. We're forgetting what is past. We're forgetting what we have. And we're all for Jesus. And we pray that you would help us, just as the Lord's Prayer said, that we pray for your kingdom to come, your will be done, and that you would help us daily in all the needs that we have. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.